So rather than go try to sell your book, just try to go spread your message. Like that's why you came to us to begin with, because you had a message that you wanted to get out larger in the world. You wanted to get it to more people. You wanted to amplify your impact. And so that's something that we're good at is spreading messages and build communities around that message. Yes. And then become, become an authentic member of that community and support that community, be a prolific sharer in that community. And then the wonderful thing about the universe is that books will sell too, and the business part will take care of itself. There's a great spirit of reciprocity in the universe. And that if you go out and try to build communities and support communities and share powerful messages and help people, then the universe turns around and supports you. This is the Next Generation Education. We're talking to top entrepreneurs, thought leaders, international disruptors, while focusing on lifelong learning and how education can and needs to adapt in our modern world. You're listening to Start Ed Up. Here's your host, Don Wetrick. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Dave Burgess on the show. Dave is author of Teach Like a Pirate. But for those of you that do know Dave, this isn't going to be about the book. And for those of you that don't know Dave, this guy has been a disruptor with a capital D in the publishing industry. And we're going to get into that. We're also going to touch a little bit on some of the disruption going on in education, period. Um, some of the feedback he's gotten, how to build a community. Uh, just like the quote you heard from the top of the hour, this guy gets marketing and he gets building community around movements. For those reasons alone, this is worth the listen. Also, we get into a little bit about the edu celebrity and kind of press on the article that was written about a few teachers and we weigh in on that. Mostly, I'm hoping that you get uh, a sense of where things are going in education and on the publishing side. So this is one that I, I really would appreciate if you share. I think Dave's message and his journey is inspiring. And um, heck, just in the spirit of what Dave does, if you guys can share this with your communities and your network, that would be great. Also, if you go to the end of the episode, he is generous in the sense that he wants to give some things away. But don't you dare skip past to the end. Um, so, but, uh, for more on that, when you want to go to the end of the show, yeah, you can go to the Facebook page and start weighing in on the show, facebook.com slash start ed up. Other than that, buckle your seatbelts. And I mean that buckle your seatbelts for Dave and his enthusiasm. This is going to be one you're going to remember for a while. So without further ado, Dave Burgess. All right. So joining me now is Dave Burgess, author of teach like a pirate. Dave, thanks for joining me. Absolutely, Don. I'm fired up to do the podcast. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Um, a lot of people thought that you wrote a book and then you started talking about it. But turns out you've been, you've been talking about, you know, passionate teaching uh, for a long time. And then you wrote a book. And we're going to get into your life as actually an entrepreneur, probably more so than the teaching side today. Uh, but take me back from the very beginning. Yeah, so I was teaching in uh, my classroom. For, I was 17 years, high school teacher, and I was a basketball coach before that. Basketball coaching was sort of my gateway drug into teaching. Uh, I was reading every single thing I could on entrepreneurship, on marketing, and uh, dabbling and trying different things. And I ended up uh, seeing a, an ad for a basketball coach. Basketball is something I've been a part of for my whole life. My first job, in fact, was working for John Wooden at John Wooden Basketball Camps. I worked for three, as an Indiana guy, you should appreciate that, Don. Um, I worked for three summers for John Wooden at his basketball camps. And so I applied for the basketball coaching job, got it, 
realized I loved working with kids, realized this is where I had a great energy around working with, with students, went back to night school, got my teacher credential, taught for 17 years. In the process of doing that, I taught, I taught some tough classes. Like I wasn't teaching the kids. I always tell people uh, when the kids stood up at the end of the year and they give the graduation speeches, I don't recognize any of those kids. Those are not my people, right? My people come from uh, students who are apathetic about school, students who didn't feel like they fit in, students with uh, learning disabilities, special ed students, all these were, were brought together to create my classroom. And so I had to come up with some ways to teach uh, that were more engaging, more relevant for that audience or I wasn't gonna survive. And so that's kind of where the Teach Like a Pirate ideas came from. You know, that doesn't, okay, so I've known you now for five years and that was the first time I've heard that you, had known John Wooden, and this all makes sense now. First of all, thank you for admitting that he's an Indiana guy, not a California guy. <laughs> Secondly, right. the, his principles of everything are everything. I can't tell you how much of a fan I am of uh, Mr. Wooden. So, wow, this all makes sense on some of your philosophies. You also said that you were into you know marketing and things of this nature. I know that we both share a fanboy moment by you know Seth Godin and things of that nature. Um, and, and, and actually, so you write this book, it, it goes pretty darn viral. And, and this is kind of where we're going to get into on the entrepreneurial side. You knew you were sitting on something special when... Okay, so when I started to do these workshops, so the workshops came way before the book. And this is where I think people sometimes get mixed up. It's like, I have people come to me all the time now and say, hey, uh, I want to write a book. And then uh, when I write, after I write this book, I'm going to go around and I'm going to speak about it. And I always say, well, have you ever talked to anybody about these ideas? Have you given a workshop? Have you given a, you know, a presentation at a conference, right? And sometimes I said, no, I'm going to do the book first because I want to have something to sell after I speak. And I'm like, well, no, you got this all mixed up. Yeah. Go, go speak first. Go hone your message in front of a live audience with eyes staring at you so you can see what hits, what doesn't hit. See if your message is even relevant for them in the, in the first place. And then you're, you're able to then craft your message, hone it, and then you're going to be able to come out with a book that's going to that's going to be appropriate for the marketplace. And so people do that do that backwards. And so I spoke for Teach Like a Pirate for over five years. Five years I spoke about Teach Like a Pirate. Like people think that uh, all of a sudden I wrote this book and then all of a sudden this money all the money started pouring or something like that. I spoke. I went anywhere, anywhere anyone would listen to me to talk about these this stuff I, at my own expense. I just submitted conference proposals all over the nation, and and if any conference said, yeah, you can come do your thing here. You can do your pirate presentation. I, I got a plane ticket. I, I, got, I got a conference registration. I got my own hotel room and I went and I did my thing. Like no, nobody knew who I was at this time, right? I was just a crazy guy walking around these conferences dressed like a pirate. And I, I literally recruited people into my room. I would go through the breakfast areas of the conference and the, the registration table areas. And I would talk to people and introduce myself and, and recruit them. And I stood outside my room calling people in like a carnival caller. Like I said, come on, you don't want to go to that session. This one's going to be better. Come on in here. Let's go. Come on. And I drew people into these rooms. I wrote up my session description to make it sound like you're going to Disneyland. Like you go to some of these conferences and you read the session descriptions, you feel like you're going to go to the dentist office to be drilled, right? Might sound like you were going to Disneyland. And so I just had this, uh, you know, we would just pack these rooms, breaking fire code after fire code at these early conferences before any book. And uh, I would get up and I'd rant and rave and demonstrate the pirate strategies and it started to build. It got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and that's kind of where the roots were. So when it came time to write my book, I almost feel like I cheated because I just sat down and wrote out what I say. You know, I just, yeah. uh, 
And that's why I think it has a more conversational and real feel to it because uh, it, it was a message that had been um, delivered orally for a long time. And then I just sat down on a computer and typed it out. Yeah, I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of people might make is that they do see this as, you know, I, I want to write a book so I can talk. And then you're saying talk before. Matter of fact, Daniel Pink, um, I had the luxury of being able to talk to him. I was like, hey, I'm going to write a book. Uh, what do you think I should do? And he's like, whatever you do, first of all, go out and talk to your audience and then also put out some of your blogs and see how they respond. So same kind of message. I, and I think that um, this is one of the things that I admired is that no one was out hustling you. And I have to admit that like as hard as that is for me to admit, because I'm like, Hey man, I work hard, dude. Um, you were out there and actually another funny side story. And you know exactly where this is going. I, I was pleased. And I'm not going to say by which publishers, but I was honored. And, and, you know, when I had some offers to, um, take, uh, you know, my book and, and so, I'll always remember this. I, I, there was a nice lady, Vicki Davis, who was giving me advice on who to go with. And she's like, you know what? You know who should consult is Dave Burgess. She's like, I don't know who his publisher is, but he sure as heck is doing well. And he's promoting the heck out of it. And I, and I think this is where we're going to take the shift now in, into your new realm as publisher. I remember calling you and I'm like, hey, who's your publisher? And who should I go with? And he's like, my publisher's me. Uh, yeah, go fill in the rest of that story. Yeah. So this, this was a, actually, this was a turning point in my life as well. So first of all, um, after doing those presentations for a long time, a publishing company came to me and said, uh, we would like to sit down with you. We would like to uh, sit down with you and talk about writing a book on all this stuff. Right. And I'd been thinking about writing a book for a while. And so I can still remember it was in Washington, DC in the lobby, little coffee shop lobby of a hotel there where I, where I'd been speaking. And I sat down, I met with this publisher and it's immediately after I met with the publisher, I went up into my hotel room and I Googled publishing contracts because I thought she was trying to cheat me. I, I honestly thought she was trying to cheat me. I was like, who, who would sign a contract like this? Like, who does she think I am, right? And then when I Googled publishing contracts, I found out she wasn't trying to cheat me. That's exactly what they look like. That's exactly what every publishing contract looks like. And to me, I always say the only thing missing was a ski mask and a gun. It's like, wait a second. This is my intellectual property. I'm going to actually write the book. I'm going to travel around and speak about it. I'm going to build a social media platform to spread my message. And, and you make how much money? And I make how much money? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And they wanted to take creative control of my project. And they wanted to remove the edgy stuff. And they wanted to say it was too personal. You wrote about walking through the canyons with your kids in this book and your favorite Christmas carol. Like, that doesn't belong in a professional educational read. Where are the research studies? Where's the footnoting and the data and all that? And that wasn't the book I was looking to write, right? And so so I researched the industry and eventually told all the publishing companies where to go. And we formed our own publishing company and published Teach Like a Pirate right from the kitchen table, right off a laptop at the kitchen table. And this is an important entrepreneurial point is that the, the publishing industry was based on an outdated model. And the outdated model was that you used to have to have the big publisher because they were the gatekeeper. They were the only ones that could get you into the bookstores. And it costs so much money to print off all these huge quantities of books and things like that. But with print-on-demand te uh, print technology, with Amazon, hey, if your book's on Amazon, you're for real. And anybody can be on Amazon, right? And so with Amazon and all these ways, new ways that books were being sold, uh, the industry hadn't kept up. And so they still had these contracts based on this outdated system. And so we realized it was time to disrupt this whole industry. And to, uh, and then when you contact them, the, the original vision was just to publish my book around and speak. 
And then you called and you said, hey, what are you doing? How is this book everywhere? And yet you don't have a big publisher. And so we chatted and talked. And then eventually, um, I mean, basically I made a Shark Tank offer to you, Don, uh, about your story and your message and try to convince you that the traditional publishing industry was um, needed to be disrupted. And you agreed. You were right on board. And you were the first author to sign with Daybirders Consulting. So I'm always be grateful for that because you're the, before we proved that the model could work, you um, had faith and jumped on board and wanted to be a part of something disruptive. And so, yeah, we published your book, Pure Genius, about your story, your early story of your, cl your innovation class in 2014. Um, and of course, we do it a lot different as far as our contracts and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that was the start of a journey. Now we have over 34 different books with, I think, 27 different uh, new contracts signed already, the books in development. And we're crushing these big, uh, these big publishers who should remain nameless uh, because they're still, yeah. looking for some, they're still looking for some secret uh, <laughs> ad that's going to make it work. And that's not, how, that's not how we do it. Well, when you said you, you convinced me, here was the convincing. So I, I, I looked at, well, first of all, I was, I was listening to people uh, complain. Um, heck, what, what even I teach in this innovation class, you know, when you hear people complain, there is a pot of gold somewhere. You know, opportunities are everywhere. And so I heard people saying, man, I got the book out and then no one's helping me promote it. Like, you know, good luck, kid. Um, yeah. some, some companies worse than others. But when I was considering this, the only thing I saw was a guy that was relentless in his pursuit of marketing. Plus, you had told me your uh, Seth Godin story, which we'll get into in a second. And I was like, okay, anybody that understands Seth Godin as well, anybody that understands marketing as well, and anybody that's willing to hustle this much, and then I start looking at your sales rankings on Amazon for a guy that wasn't published, quote unquote, okay, I'm down. And I think that was one of the things that, and I'm not trying to make this the Mutual Admiration Society. So for full disclosure, thank you for getting out of the way. Yes, I, I signed with you. That's great. But that's not the reason why we're doing the podcast. The podcast is about you then taking your first book, second, third, fourth, fifth, and now there's you know, probably by the end of 2018, 55 plus in the pipeline. You went from zero to 60 very fast. So for young entrepreneurs listening to this, um, your you know, your secret sauce obviously was, like you said, looking at the, the, the industry and saying it's outdated, but some other nuggets of wisdom you found along the way. Yeah. So here, here's the thing is that when we're working with, with authors, for example, uh, here's one of the things that I'll tell an author. I'll say, listen, uh, don't try to go sell your book. Because if you try to go sell your book, you're going to feel icky about it. You're, you don't like to feel salesy and like you're being manipulative maybe. And, and the other person is resistant on the other end to your message because they feel like they're being sold and no one likes to feel like they're being sold. So rather than go try to sell your book, just try to go spread your message. Like that's why you came to us to begin with because you had a message that you wanted to get out larger in the world. You wanted to get it to more people. You wanted to amplify your impact. And so that's something that we're good at is spreading messages. And so don't change that when you have a book. Go, go, go try to spread your message. Message and build communities around that message. Yes. And then become, become an authentic member of that community and support that community, be a prolific sharer in that community. And then the wonderful thing about the universe is that books will sell too, and the business part will take care of itself. And so uh, uh, there's, a, there's a great spirit of reciprocity in the universe. And that if you go out and try to build communities and support communities and share powerful messages and help people, then the universe turns around and, and supports you. And that's kind of what happens with us and our books. If you look at our books, 
uh, their, their communities. And, and our, our people, we're looking for practitioners, people that are actually out there doing this stuff and that are, are willing to authentically yeah. interact with their, with their colleagues. And so, uh, like a, a comp- company, sometimes someone will come and consult with me and they'll say like, so what time of the day do I need to send my tweet for it to have the most impact? Or have you found, like, they'll, they'll try to look for these little secrets and hacks, right? And I'm like, no, it, that's not what it is. It's what, what makes us successful is that we're not the big building with the corporate executives in it and the marketing teams were people that are actually in the industry or actually in classrooms in schools. Yeah. And we're building connections and relationships with people. And it's those connections and relationships. Like when is the last time you saw me tweet my book link? I don't tweet my book link, right? I don't, I don't I'm not on there pushing my book. I'm building connections and relationships with people and supporting communities and building communities. And then in turn, that community turns around and yeah. promotes, promotes it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the fundamental thing that I dig is what you're saying is this is the difference between the push versus the pull. Uh, You've built a community where people are pulled in. And also on the other side is, you know, if, if your advice earlier to, you know, if you're wanting to push your book, you should be out there promoting your message to where you're pulled in. I mean, some of the, some of the people that I've, that I know that you've signed, well, heck, even myself, I, I was, I was out there talking about what I think is the greatest class in America, and that is the innovation class. And so people are like, you really need to write a book. Matter of fact, a huge thank you to Sherry Crofit because she was the one that said, if you don't write your book, somebody else will. And, and, and I was pulled into it. So you're right. If you're doing something amazing, you'll be pulled in. But the, the, your brand building is what has um, been an interesting model is because, like you said, you're not pushing your book anymore. Other people are pulling them into a, a TLAP community. So tell everybody about, you know, from the beginnings of your idea of a Twitter chat night with Teach Like a Pirate and then how that's grown. Yeah, so this is, social media is one of the great equalizers in the world right now because uh, like the very things that make us successful are only available to us because we are small, light, and lean. <laughs> you know, so the, it's like when um, Malcolm Gladwell was talking about David versus Goliath. So I'm not, the reason that David wins uh, it, it is because he's small and agile and quick. And, and, can, and, uh, and so sometimes the, the very things that people see as disadvantages have to be turned into advantages. And so we didn't have some big marketing budget when we started this business, right? And now uh, we've built a multi-million dollar business, but it's been on, like you said, it's been on hustle. It's been on connections and relationships. And so that started with the TLAP community. Actually, uh, TLAP started as a book study put together by Chris Kessler in Texas, uh, who's on, uh, I am Kessler on, on Twitter. And, and he started a book study. He contacted me and I, I started to become a part of it. And so much energy was being was drawn in and so many people were starting to get fired up about the message in the book study that I just continued it out of the book study and built a community. So now it's been a weekly chat for like four years on Twitter. It's one of the largest communities on Twitter and a lot of our other communities uh, you can find through the TLAP hashtag. So TLAP is a T-L-A-P for Teach Like a Pirate. And so here you all of a sudden you go, you're, you're, you're doing some Twitter chats. Uh, you're growing each and every week. 
Um, then all of a sudden you started finding other, like you said, practitioners. Um, how did you find these people or did they find you uh, in the early days? So in the early days, this was, uh, I was finding people who had powerful messages that I was running across either on the speaking circuit or in social media. And, uh, it, it, but then the whole situation flipped for us because as some of these books started to come out, your book came out and, um, you know, Matt Miller ditched that textbook and some of the other pirate books like Learn Like a Pirate, Innovator's Mindset by George Kuro. Some of these other books started to come out and, and take off as well. Then the whole situation flipped and people started to come to us. And now our inbox is flooded every week with manuscripts. Um, and so then we had issues of scaling, right? And so as a small business, we still run the business right out of our house. Um, and so we had scaling issues. Like how, we can't do all these books. We love all these people. We're connected to all these people. And we, but we can't do all these books. So how do we decide what books are ours and what books aren't? Which ones do we pass on? And so it, became, it forced us to become much more intentional about our brand and what books we felt we could be successful with in the marketplace. And so that's been a whole new side yeah. of the Yeah, let me ask you about that. Because, I mean, and first of all, this is, um, I'm going to try to keep this professional. This is the time you can brag a little bit. Because, and I shared this story with you once before. Uh, there was a particular person who was very serious about the, um, the, the educational side and, and um, he gave me a hard time about signing my book to, to your line. He's like, Oh, you should have went with a, a, a real publisher. Uh, oh, the guy that dresses like a pirate, how novel. And um, I was like, I, I, and, and, and it's been funny to see the shift in power, so to speak. But no, I was like, dude, like he's got a community and people are chatting about it. People are talking it up. Why would I? And he's like, well, you know, uh, you know, it, like some of the things you said, you know, it's not annotated. There's not, you know, some scientific. And, and, and believe me, there is room and space for traditional publications that have researched. I think they're wonderful. Um, but you said your, your brand was practitioners and giving stories from the front lines. So other than the, you saying stories from front lines, your brand is what? Like if you had a couple sentences to say, Dave Burgess brand is what? Yeah, so like the, where the pirate thing comes from, this is, this is confused people. Sometimes people don't understand uh, what does it mean to teach like a pirate or what is this whole pirate branding? And so, first of all, I'm obsessed, and this is something that I think that entrepreneurs need to get better at, is I'm obsessed with finding ways to package material to make it easier to understand and to spread. And so, um, for example, I, I call it putting handles on material to make it easier for students to pick up. Like in my classroom, I want to put handles on my material to make it easier for them to pick up and take with them and carry out, right? Well, I wanted to put handles on my brand. I wanted to be able to have a, a, a way of talking about this in a way, a, a language around it and a way of connecting it to people and, and to spread. And so the pirate was important because, uh, so to me, it has nothing to do with the dictionary definition, right? It, we don't want teachers to go out and attack and rob ships at sea. It's about the spirit of a pirate. And if you think about the spirit of a pirate, the spirit of a pirate uh, is very much entrepreneurial. A, a, a pirate to me is someone who is unconventional, someone who's willing to reject the status quo, someone who's willing to sail into uncharted waters with no guarantee of success, a risk taker, a rebel, a maverick. And so I wanted to take that spirit of being a pirate and inject it not only into my classroom, but also into my brand and my business. And so that, that's, that pirate branding has been, an important, has been an important thing that's kind of drawn all of this together. So has there been an emotional satisfaction on some of the people that were smirking four years ago? I'm going to be honest with you. I love every single minute of that. 
And so, uh, like, you, you can't believe some of the things that I heard. And even after the book came out and was successful, I had people contact me and try to save me. Like, they'll say, I, I had a company contact me and say, listen, um, you know, I see this, you're having some success with this, you know, this cute little book. And we, we were like, maybe you want to sell it to us and we'll distribute it for you in a more professional way. And I'm like, in a more professional way, like, I've sold, I've sold over a quarter of a million copies of this book out of my house. You know, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, I remember sitting in Fuddruckers in, with uh, four of my buddies that I used to teach with. And we were talking about the book. This was early on. This was in 20, the book came out in September of 2012. This was in 2013. And I was, I sat there and I can remember this so clearly. I said to them, you know what, um, guys, I, I think I wrote a million dollar book. Like I think, like the, when I see the, this is starting to spread online and, and on Twitter, like I think I might have written a million dollar book. And they're like, "You got to be kidding me! Like nobody makes that kind of money on a book, right?" Well, I'm the publisher and I'm the author, and I've sold over a quarter million copies. So you can do the math on that, right? And, and so uh, I, I do get a great satisfaction out of this. But this company contacted me, and, and they're like, "Hey, uh, our marketing company, our mar marketing department says that we're going to have to change the title." Because nobody will take a, a book with that cheesy title very seriously. And by the way, um, we don't. We, we were to change the cover too because the cover cover doesn't fit in with other books in the genre. And I sent them an email back, going like, you know, I'll, "I'll never sign with you. You don't. You don't understand. Like, what we do you want mean? you to be the same as everybody else. That's exactly oh, what they were saying. Oh my gosh! They're saying, "I'm a, first of all, I've been branding for years around this pirate thing, and you want me to change my branding at this point? That's been said. And then, and you want me to to change my cover so it fits in with other books in the genre? But that's their mentality and mindset is that they feel safe when they're in the pack, right? And that's not what. When you put all the books out on the table. You don't want your book to look like every other book. And the same thing with your business. What, is, what makes you stand out? What makes you unique? What makes you original in, in, in the space? And that originality doesn't always come in ideas. And that's an important point is that uh, some people think they have to come up with some idea that's never been seen in the history of the world. That's not usually how it works. And so like, I don't claim originality for a lot of the ideas in Teach Like a Pirate. A lot of those engagement strategies have been used for generations, right? Maybe what, but what, maybe what was original was the way that was brought together, branded and packaged and created that community around it. And that's where uh, some of the originality lies. And I, I know it even to the point of annoyance for some people, because maybe they'll, they'll put out on Twitter something that they're doing in their classroom. And then someone from my community will tweet back to them like, oh, no, that's awesome. That's T-Lab stuff. Great pirate teaching or something like that. And I just know that this person is sitting there going like, man, I've been doing this for 20 years. And all of a sudden this guy came around and like now he's like he owns the stuff. And but that's but that's branding, right? Like I, Teach Like a Pirate became the Kleenex for tissue paper. It became the Frisbee for flying disc. And now when people talk about student engagement, they talk about hooks and pirate teaching and things like that. And so uh, that all, it all goes back to a background in that marketing and entrepreneurship. And I was reading every single thing I could on this, in this industry. I, I grew up going through like the magnetic marketing program of Dan Kennedy and uh, some of his proteges. And uh, I read all these books about I've, my whole shelf is filled with books on copywriting and different things like that. And so it's that it's that backdrop in marketing and entrepreneurship that has really, I think, um, yeah. been behind a lot of this. Well, that's exactly why I wanted you on the podcast. I mean, a, a, the the level of which you've built the brand and the marketing was exactly it. And 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 you know, I try to have on as many disruptors as I can. And you disrupting the publishing industry is now, 
apparent. And um, let's let's get in some key metrics. Like, what was like one of the biggest weeks you guys have had a- across the line? Like, when you look at educational titles, you've had books rankings one through what? Yeah, so I've there's been times where in the uh, professional development thing where we've had like uh, seven of the top ten titles in the entire category on Amazon. Um, and like I said, we're, we're running the business from our house. <laughs> and, and so uh, we're driving these big companies crazy because they're trying to figure out how, how, how is this happening to them? And again, they're trying to put out, uh, they're printing a catalog out and mailing it to uh, 40,000 people and 99% of them take it and sort their mail and put it in the trash can, right? Yeah. And instead we're building connections and relationships with people. And that's so, so let me ask you this. So now here we go. Uh, So like I was proudly in the early days, right? So by the end of 2018 is your, one of your fears, you're going to become really big and you won't be able to, to have that level of fast and nimble, like you talked about earlier. And if so, like, what are you doing to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, so this has been a, absolutely a learning curve for us yes, because as we have scaled, especially in even just the last year, um, we've had to make some tough decisions. Like, are we, are we getting too big? Do we have too many books? Are we, can we still support these books at the level that we have in the past? Um, and we've had, to, we've had to bring, like we have a, our first full-time employee we brought on this year and might be bringing on someone in 2018 to help as well. And so we've had to be able to free ourselves of some of the, the the growing behind the scenes operational aspect of the business in order to be able to do that work that is that is most powerful for building the brand and moving it forward and i think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck is because they were so much uh so uh much themselves and an individual and such a rebel and a and they were going rogue and so they were doing everything on their own but then when the business grows the business can swallow you up and all of a sudden you find yourself doing the, uh, the low, the, the stuff, the work that's not bringing, bringing the, building the brand forward. You're doing the operational stuff rather than working um, on, on furthering your business. And so we've had to have, it's a growing curve for us as we realize we have to let some of that behind the scenes stuff go in order for me to still be able to, you know, be on Twitter and to build communities and go out and speak and do all that kind of stuff. And same with Shelly. You know, I I run this business with my wife, Shelly. And so she's a big part of the success of our business behind the scenes. Also, she's the, I mean, she's the co-author of Lead Like a Pirate, which is our, 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 one of our top leadership books. But um, taking what some of what Shelly has done, she was getting swallowed up in this too and freeing her of some of that so she could do some of her most powerful work as well. Well, and I've also seen you guys, uh, you know, really build brands uh, and help, you know, carry on that legacy with some of your authors. And and I think that was always a genius thing. Um, So other than the publishing industry, uh, what are some of the other disruptions you see in education coming down the pike? Yeah, so I think what I mean, what you're doing is on the forefront of where we're going. And so uh, like your innovation class. And, and I, I love what you say about the fact like, hey, we're not saying throw everything else out of school, but can't they have one class a day where they are uh, learning about innovation and entrepreneurship and uh, how to become uh, makers and, and creators and designers 
And I, I think that's where we're going. And so, because it used to be that the, the gatekeeper in the world, like the publishing industry, uh, was the, the traditional publishing industry, they were the gatekeeper. Well, it used to be what the gatekeeper in the world was, was information. Who's got information? Who doesn't have it, right? But now everyone's got all the information. A, a kid can pull up anything on his phone in 10 seconds. So it's no longer what you know, it's what, what, what do you do? What can you do with it? What can you make? What can you create? What can you design? Um, and so moving schools to take advantage of that and to create these makers, not memorizers, creators, not consumers, and putting people into the world uh, that can go out and actually do stuff. That's, I think that's where we're going. And so that's why I'm so excited about your innovation class well, and uh, the, all the work that you're doing to spread innovation classes and that idea in, in school systems around the, the world. Well, I also got to give credit also here lately to when I was out, well, both to Seth Godin and Gary Vee. Uh, when I went out there to interview Gary, he was in his Gary way saying, why the F aren't you doing effing daily videos? Um, because I, I think then the only thing that scares me is, first of all, thank you for the praise. But like the term innovation now, uh, I've seen school districts were like, we, just, we can screenshot our worksheets and put it on Canvas. Isn't that innovative? I'm like, no. No, you just put a worksheet on. <laughs> no, it's not. And so when, when schools are doing something innovative, and this is kind of like what you guys do with your brand, I, I want to like get video of that. Document what you do. Showcase yeah. what you do. Uh, and, and like you said, your authors are on the front lines. They're teachers and things of that nature. Like, I think that that's, I, I think video is so important. And, and we live in the day of marketing because, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm trying to disrupt the education industry. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to showcase my kids doing awesome things, you know, from getting patents filed to well, actually, this is, this will air in a couple of weeks, but like just yesterday, two of my students just got their formal paperwork done. They're their own nonprofit and NGO. Two of my students are wow. building a school in Africa and not raising money to let somebody else build it. One of my students is graduating early in January. He's moving to Ghana. And That's like, incredible. well, and I'm like, I keep, it's the Luke's, you know, both Luke and uh, Rex and Johnson. I'm like, look, just get video, take pictures. Yeah. Cause how yeah, many 17 and 18 year olds are building a school in Africa? I don't, two. I mean, maybe there's more. And if there are more, I'd love to know about them, but I wish they'd put that on video document what you do. And so I, I'm, I'm agreeing. I think that when innovation things are done at your high school, middle school, elementary school, man, just, get that stuff on video, do some blogs, uh, post some pictures, because I think the world needs to see it. I think, I think public education is bashed. And in some cases, th there's reason. But like, if we're doing amazing things, man, let's see it. I want to showcase that stuff. And so you, you said something powerful and pure genius, where you said that it's not bragging, it's helping. Right. And so people have this sense of that maybe if I uh, if I if I try to push out what I'm doing in my classroom, that maybe that's somehow egotistical or selfish. Like I'm trying to put myself um, above other people like what, what I'm doing is so special. I need to share it. And, and that's not the way it is. And I have this over top example I use with people who struggle with that. Um, and I say, listen, if uh, it. If you were at a party and you know CPR and someone on the other side of the party falls down and stops breathing, would it be egotistical and selfish for you to make it known in a very loud and clear fashion that you know CPR? If you screamed it out, would, it, would people get upset with you? If you uh, pushed people out of the way to get over on the other side of the room to help that person, would they see you as a bully? No, what they would greet you as a hero. 
and because you had exactly what that person needed at that moment to help them. And the and then the analogy I make is that there's there's kids that are suffocating and not breathing in schools all over the world, right? And if you have something that could help them, if you have something that you can get in the hands of their teachers that will help those students, and, and you don't share it because of some issue you have with not wanting to stand out or feeling like that you're being egotistical, that's a problem. It's not just okay for you to share what you're doing. You have a moral imperative to share what you're doing. If what you're doing can help other people, you have a moral imperative to share it. And this is the key that goes to the entrepreneurs. You don't just have a moral imperative share it you have a moral imperative to do the work necessary to get good at sharing it to do to learn what you need to learn in order to get good at sharing it and to spread it as wide as you possibly can and, and be able to amplify your impact boy i am glad you brought that up I, this is this is one of the last points i, I want you to bring it up and and it's somewhat uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, first of all, I promised myself this wouldn't be like the Mutual Admiration Society. So thank you for bringing up my book. But um, like, man, you can bring up so many great examples from some of the other authors. So let's, I'm going to try to avoid the, the me and you discussion. But um, the, the painful truth of this is that some teachers, uh, well, first of all, I'm an educator. I've been raised by an educator. You know, we have a family lineage of that. We're a humble bunch. And that's why sometimes it's hard. However, Let's also address the elephant in the room. There was a New York Times article and they singled out, well, not singled out, they wrote a, uh, a piece about uh, some teachers that were teacherpreneurs and that they had uh, written, uh, you know, a book uh, and or, you know, had some things because they were sponsored uh, by great ed tech companies and there was a nasty backlash from within. There was a lot of jealousy um, that I had a hard time understanding because all of a sudden people were doing the eye rolls and saying, how dare these edgy celebrities cash in? And yet here, like your, your CPR metaphor is spot on. Like if you're doing something amazing in the classroom, I want to know cause I want to copy it. Right. Yes. And yet when they mentioned two really good, and, and I personally, I know both of them and they're fantastic educators. All of a sudden, there was vitriol and anger and jealousy thrown at them. So what are we going to do as a profession to combat that? Or is that like not possible because it's human nature? Yeah, you know, and so and one of those teachers is uh, uh, a DBC Inc. author who has a book coming out on um, her message. And um, I, I read the article. She, she actually contacted us and said like, hey, uh, this just came out. I hope that you guys are okay. Like, and we're, I, we contacted her back and said, are you kidding me? Like, we're 100% behind you. Go do your thing. Go spread your message. Go, uh, the, the idea that people that are uh, doing powerful stuff and, and good at spreading it is, is a bad thing. This makes no sense to me whatsoever. And, um, one of the things I would also share with you is the, uh, people get frustrated uh, because not everybody changes at once and change seems so slow. Right. And um, so they're frustrated like that. Like a, a, a leader of a school might be frustrated because everyone doesn't jump on board with their initiative. And I always look at it like uh, building a snowball. And I use a snowball analogy with people. I say, listen, if you wanted to build a giant snowball and you went out and you tried to grab all the snow at once, it would all crumble away and you would wind up with nothing, right? That's not the way you build a snowball. The way you build a snowball is you get a lid in your hands and you shape it and you pack it and, and you make it tight. And then when that's shaped and molded and tight, you add a little bit more and a little bit more. Finally, it gets big enough where you can set it on the ground and you can start to roll it and the snow starts to stick and it builds and builds and it gets, and that's the way you build a giant snowball. Well, that's the same way that you change a system. 
is you go, you don't announce, you can't announce change from the podium, right? You can't pass out an iPad to everyone, stand up and say, this year we all teach like pirates. All right, go do your thing. No, that's not, that's the way it works, right? It's always built that small group. You find the people that do want to do something different, do want to be innovative, do want to be a part of change. And you work with them and you support them and you put all your energy there. And then the energy that radiates out from that group starts to attract other people in and you build them and you shape them, you bring them in, you welcome them into your, into your pack, right? And you shape and mold them and work with them and eventually it gets big enough where you can set it down in your system and roll it out. And so change always starts with that small group. So too many people let their energy be dissipated by the negativity on their campus and the people that don't want to be a part of something new. Don't worry about those people at the start of it. Work with the, spend all your energy on the people that do want to be a part of something that's uh, unique and different. And then let the snowball roll those other people over down the line. That, that is really good practical advice, especially at the smaller level. Because you did, you, you need that support. Because I mean, sometimes, and, and I mean this in a loving way, a lot of times if you are that teacher that is standing out and you're doing things different, sometimes it's a lonely existence. So that is really great advice. Um, my only real problem with that article is, yeah, the, 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 the macro response it got and the trolls that it brought out, but most disappointingly within my own profession, um, I had a hard time with it. Like, you know, in, in one instance, uh, you know, the battle cry is, oh, teachers should make more money. And then when people have the audacity to, you know, do their own thing and still teach. Like, I, I personally think that, you know, having a teacher like Kayla would be a wonderful resource because she is attracting attention and goods and services from companies that want to be a part of the education system. And she's still a killer teacher. Now, the pundits were saying, well, you know, what if it's a conflict of interest? I, I think that professionally, we know how to make that judgment. I was thinking of another Indiana reference. When, when you mentioned that uh, the, the word innovation, and how people will say, oh yeah, we're innovative, and they tell you what you're doing, and you're thinking, that's not innovative at all. Um, it reminds me back to my basketball coaching days. And so I was a, a huge, an Indiana legend, of course, is Bobby Knight. And although, uh, you know, in, in, some, in some respects, uh, <laughs> I can't support everything in Bobby Knight, right? But his, his take on motion offense changed my world. And the idea of not running basketball plays, but rather teaching kids how to play basketball. And so true, True motion offense is you don't come down and call out play six and seven or whatever, run a, run a structured offense. You are constantly uh, spacing the floor and interacting with each other, adjusting to what the defense does and, and making decisions on the moment. So you're actually freeing your, your players up to make real-time decisions based on what the defense does and, and what the game dictates rather than run some uh, prescribed set play that you drew up on a chalkboard, right? And so it's actually very empowering for, for, for players. But it's also scary as a coach because you're, you're relinquishing some of that control to your players, but you're training them and giving them the skills necessary in order to do that. And that's kind of what uh, people that are really doing innovative things in education are saying now is, hey, it's scary because now I have to let this kid make some decisions and he might make the wrong decision, but yet I'm gonna try to build up his skills, his confidence and his ability to make correct decisions. And it's only through that decision-making process over and over again that they're actually gonna learn the skills that they need. And, and like, so I had a, a, a coach, a youth coach that worked under me and I was I would teach them all about motion offense and so then I go to a basketball game one time and the team comes up the court and I hear him stand up he stands up on the side of the bench and he yells motion four motion four 
and the kids ran a play, right? Some set play. And the next time they come down, he's like, motion three. And they run some other play, right? And I'm thinking like, no, no I, I sat down with the after I'm like, listen, just because you use the word motion doesn't mean you're using my motion offense. You're using still plays. You just yeah. put the word motion in front of it. And that's what a lot of people are doing are with things like innovation. <laughs> no, I agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah, the buzzword catches on and it's not really capturing the true thing. Well, and you know, circling back to you, uh, there's some people that are disruptors and then there's disruptors. Um, I really, you know, enjoyed having you on because what you're doing for academic publications is making some uncomfortable, sure. And again, there is room for the traditional researched, annotated, very serious publications. But I, I think that we've proven time and time again is a story usurps everything. Uh, I, I remember, you know, even in class when we were talking about the biggest shift in the Syrian conflict is not when massive people were dying, but when all of a sudden there was a story of a poor, unfortunate child who washed up on a beach. Now, all of a sudden we had their attention because it was a story that drove everything. And um, I remember when I, when, you know, when I was recommended by Vicki, you know, check out Dave Burgess. So I, you know, purchased the book and I just remember, I'm like, this is exactly how I talk. Like the similarities between our presentation styles are obviously similar, but I remember reading the book. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a book. This is a, this is a fun conversation that I'm having. It just happens to be in print. And so that kind of disruption with the kind of writing style, the kind of uh, teachers you've attracted to be on, on board, so to speak, have been a a unique disruption. And and for that, man, I, I greatly appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to publish Pure Genius. It's awesome. And like the story of your innovation class is inspiring. And I hope more get on board and, and, and join that movement as well. And I, I'll tell you one other thing, Don. Um, so listen, Teach Like a Pirate is a weird book because there's not one single educational book referenced inside of it. Not, not a single one. Uh, it, not because I don't like education books, I publish them. It's because that's not where it came from. It was from the outside drawn in. And so it's like my background as a coach has influenced how I give feedback to kids, break down instruction, hopefully develop an inspirational component of my class. My background as a magician has influenced my sense of staging and showmanship and incorporation of props. My background as a marketer has created, like how a marketer creates buzz for a new product. I create buzz for lessons and teach uh, uh, teachers how to create buzz in mystery and intrigue around lessons. My background as an MC, like in, in rap music, has influenced my professional development speaking style. Like if you see me go, if you see me do a workshop, you think that you're at a show rather than you're at a workshop, right? And you think, because I'm a person that's used to speaking in a fast and flourishy way on a microphone in front of people, right? And so all these things have been drawn together to create Teach Like a Pirate. And so that's, it's a mindset of looking at the world and saying, how can I use that? Like, what is it around me that other industries are, are doing that's successful? And how can I use that in my industry? And so it's all from the outside drawn in. And I think that's something that people, people get too much. They have the uh, tunnel vision. They, have, they wear blinders and they only see their industry. When actually when you, wide, when you live wide and read wide, that gives you creative ammunition from other spaces to bring back. And by the way, when you bring it back into your industry from another industry, then you immediately stand out as, as unique and different because everybody else in the industry is in your industry is doing it the same way. And so that's one of the things with Teach Like a Pirate is I took stuff from the marketing world and brought it into the classroom. I took stuff from, from hip hop and brought it into the classroom, all these different 
things to create this Teach Like a Pirate thing. And so as, as entrepreneurs, that's something that you want to do is you want to look at what's happening in other industries and see how you can take those same systems and ideas and do them in your industry as well. I love that. Only mainly because I remember when I was, um, I think when I was in high school and I was being able to relate to so many different things. It's because my parents put a premium on travel. My dad was a teacher, my mom stayed at home mom, and I had gone all over the country. I mean, every state. And just that being exposed to different cultures, different ideas, I thought, A, made me a more rounded person, but B, I could relate to so many different things. Um, matter of fact, I always still think that the greatest money you can spend is on travel and experience for that reason. And yeah. so, yeah, when, when you, you know, you had all these market, you know, marketing books you've consumed, the, the, the people that you had followed and admired, you can really, really see not only in your branding, but in your writing style and everything else. And so it's, it is, you're, you're bringing in so many different worlds instead of the traditional here is a teaching book. So that's awesome. All right. So um, for those people that are not in the educational world, tell everybody else they like how you keep talking about this brand, you keep talking about this community, give us some uh, resources, some links and some things that you wanted people to check out. Absolutely. So I live on Twitter. I am at Burgess Dave on Twitter. My name is flipped around to Burgess Dave, B-U-R-G-E-S-S. Dave, and the hashtag people often use to talk about these ideas is T-L-A-P for Teach Like a Pirate, T-LAP. And you can also find me at DaveBurgess.com and DaveBurgessConsulting.com. Very good. All right, Dave, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate that we didn't go too much in the educational realm because I really wanted you to talk about the disruption in the publishing industry. So I'm, I'm, thank you so much for uh, sharing that, all that information and your new uh, almost life as, as an entrepreneur. And, um, and I appreciate you as a friend and, uh, as a colleague. So thank you so much for being on. Oh, it's my pleasure, Don. Let's give some books away too. Oh, you know what? I wasn't going to put you on spot. So yeah. yeah. Uh, if you go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash start it up, uh, you know, mention that you, well, you know what you go with the promo, you, you, you're a marketing guy. What should we do? Yeah, I tell you what, so either uh, respond on Facebook or get onto iTunes and leave a comment about the episode. And, uh, and we'll choose, how about we choose five people to win a signed copy of Teach Like a Pirate? Done. That's an amazing thing. Yes, let's just do that. Go to the iTunes uh, store, leave a comment that you listen to the episode. Tell me whether you like the episode or not. Give honest feedback. And yeah, we'll select five people and get you a signed copy. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure, right. Don. All right, we'll see you. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave your comments, questions, and suggest show topics at startedupinnovation.com. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Start Ed Up and Facebook.com slash Start Ed Up. We're back next week with a new episode.